Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Ain't No Head Like Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Laurel Bannister. And today I have my dear friend, precious bestie, Alyssa Wilson back on the podcast. Uh, no husband this time. This was, this is just a Strictly the girl gang. Yes. Just, <laughs> this is a mom episode, so dads are not in this. Um, Alyssa, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Awesome. Well, I'm super, super um, excited for this episode. I feel like this, um, obviously, just knowing Alyssa personally has been like a long time coming, and I feel like this is just a great um, platform to really talk about um, her son, Rhett, and um, her... Uh, new son, James, and uh, how we got with Rhett, how we got with James, all that good stuff. So um, before we get started, I do want to include a trigger warning of um, infant loss. Um, but Alyssa's really ready to just kind of lay it all out on the table and talk about everything. And I'm super excited and honored that she chose my podcast to do that. So are you ready to just get into it? I'm ready. I really appreciate you giving me the space to of course. tell my story and how I feel. Yes, of course. Um, okay, so anyone who doesn't know the both of us together, um, I was pregnant with Jack, um, my youngest son, and Alyssa was pregnant with Rhett. Um, we were due, what was it, six weeks apart? Yeah. Yeah. So met each other when we were at a steak night one night at a mutual friend's house, and we were just talking and, you know, bitching and moaning how pregnant women do about how miserable we were at the time, just so uncomfortable. And um, so tell me a little bit about uh, Rhett's pregnancy and like how that went. It was routine, uneventful as far as like symptoms and stuff like that. It was perfectly routine. Um, just some backstory. Keen and I had been trying to grow our family for about a year, a year and a half. Okay. Um, and we had actually had our first appointment with Dr. Smith to talk about, um, you know, nothing's working. What can we do? What are our options? And Dr. Smith had said that, you know, he could go the route of prescribing Clomid, which is like a popular fertility drug that's given before you go to a fertility specialist. Oh, okay. Um, and you know, he was like, we could do that, but first I want to do some blood work on you and Mm -hmm. we'll see, you know, what those results are before we move forward with the Clomid. Right. So two weeks later, after that appointment, I came in for my blood work and found out that I was actually already pregnant. Right. So JK, Uh, I'm here. (laughs) Dr. Smith said that was the fastest uh, fertility turnaround I've ever had. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Didn't take much. So, um, we found out we were pregnant with Rhett in probably May of 2021. Okay. Um, Super excited. I'll, I'll never forget when I finally told Keen I was pregnant with a positive pregnancy test. He literally... Didn't you think you were joking? He thought I was lying. I've been, <laughs> after months and months of negative tests, right. and like literally the month before, uh-huh. I was like 15 days late. And mm-hmm. so we were like, oh my gosh, this is it. And so I had to tell him like, no, like another negative test. So mm-hmm. the following month, he was like, you're literally lying to me. You're like, <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we were pregnant with Rhett. Um, I knew in my soul it was a boy from the time that we got pregnant. And so at the gender reveal, moms just know. I'm telling I'm you. Telling you, I told Keena, I was like, it's a boy. Like, I know it is. And he was like, oh, how do you know? I was like, I just know I it just in my know. soul. Like, yep. it is. So um, we had a very uneventful pregnancy pretty much for the most part other than, you know, 
same old, like I had gallbladder issues on Thanksgiving. So I was in the emergency room on Thanksgiving. I was due January 19th. So just like a little here and there. But other than that, he was completely healthy. Our anatomy scan was great. Mm -hmm. He was growing. He was huge. That Um, he was. His foot was literally in my rib cage for probably the last three months of my pregnancy. Yes. So, um, you know, we completely were expecting to bring home the most healthy baby. Right. Um, so as far, so everything was routine. You did your anatomy scan, blood work, all that good stuff. Everything was perfect. We actually did. Um, and he he, came out fast. He did. And like, I just want to say, you know, as a first time mom, Mm -hmm. kind of where we are failed is, you know, when I got pregnant with red, I was asked at my OB Mm -hmm. if I wanted to do genetic testing. Right. And so it was blood work. I was like, yeah, Yeah. sure. Just no big deal. Yeah. Just your standard run of the mill. Which like at the time I didn't know much about genetics and DNA. So Uh like on top of us having a healthy pregnancy, Mm -hmm. it was under our, you know, blind impression that like Uh all was well, like everything came back. You didn't Great. have any inc- inclination to or push to do anything further anything than just a baseline. Uh, further. No. And after, you know, further details, I guess, you know, all they do at that initial genetic blood work appointment mm-hmm. with your OB, they only test for, um, I want to say, Down syndrome and spina bifida. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. But to me, I was like, oh, great. Right. We're Negative. Clear. We're good. We are in the clear. So, right. Um, we got to the end. I, I never, ever would have thought Rhett would have made it to January. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had money that we were going early. We were coming right. in December. But at my 39-week appointment, I told Dr. Smith, I was like, I am ready. Right. This baby, you can take him this out baby right needs to come out. So right. we made the decision to induce. Yes. At 39 weeks. Okay. So uh, we went in for induction on January 16th mm-hmm. on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And we started that process. Um, we checked in, we did like the gel type, um, pill that they, it's an insert and it's supposed to like thin your, your lining and everything. So I when, forgot the name. What, it's not, it's not Cyotech, is it? Maybe something like that. I don't know. We could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, we're Any not doctors. Nurse here. Listening, sorry. <laughs> we just butchered that. <laughs> Whatever that pill is that they start, because yeah, when one. I was induced, I was dilated to like maybe a one. Okay. Like we were like not moving. Mm-hmm. And so he said, no, ma'am, not he was out. not ready to go. So I was like, yeah. okay. Like, you know, and I had done all the things, walking, jump, sitting on the ball, like mm-hmm. all of that. Um, so we checked in Monday night okay. and did you get the, the gel pill every four hours. So we did that Tuesday morning. Dr. Smith came in, checked me, no movement. I had Jeez. not dilated anymore. I was not effaced anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't really eaten because they had told me I couldn't eat Monday before being induced in case of a C-section, you know, you can't eat before you have a surgery or anything like that. Which is just torture all on its own. Right. And just hangry, (laughs) hangry and 40 weeks pregnant. Yeah. Not a good combination. Um, so we went all day Tuesday, no movement. They checked me several times. I was in labor, but not active labor. So like my contractions were inconsistent and, Mm -hmm. you know, painful I guess to say but just nothing crazy and so Dr. Smith had come in probably around like three o'clock and he talked about sending me home 
yeah. and I would have lost my <laughs> freaking mind. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, you know, your body's just not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Dr. Smith, he's so great. He will yes. let you labor. He is very he pro is. labor. He will not jump the gun on a C-section. No. Um, he was like, you know, your body's just not doing it. Mm-hmm. We want to let it try to do it on its own. So, you know, if there's no movement by the end of the day, I recommend just sending you home and we'll try again next week. He was oh like, God. but I'll be back to check on you. So at that point, I'm like crying to Keena. Like, I'm, I'm like, not leaving. <laughs> I am not leaving. I told this like poor little nurse. I was like, hey, like Dr. Smith just left. Mm-hmm. He's talking about sending me home. Like, how do I have the conversation about an elective C-section? Because mm-hmm. I'm not leaving this right. hospital I'm without a baby. Here. I'm here. I'm committed. Like, I have labored mm-hmm. since Monday. It. Like, we're doing it. And she was like, oh, like, I don't know, you know. And I was like, no. Like, you don't understand. Go go grab him. <laughs> We're having a C-section if he's sending me home. Right. So like I said, we continued to do the gels and um, I don't know if it was my tears or she told Dr. Smith how pushy I was, but he decided to let me stay mm-hmm. another night. Um, I had one more night mm-hmm. and if I wasn't anything by Wednesday, then he was sending me home for good. Okay. Um, so we just, you know, continued with the gels, no Pitocin or anything yet and... Probably about 10 o'clock, she asked me, she was like, do you want like some pain medicine to help you sleep? You know, you haven't slept any, Mm -hmm. anything like that. And of course I said, yes. So we did that and she put it through my IV and I immediately was like, oh gosh, like this is good. Like my eyes are rolling in the back Uh of my head. (laughs) Like we're about to take a nap. Uh And 45 minutes later, my water broke. Good grace. So here we are. And I'm like, I think my water just broke. And she was like, um. Probably not. Like, I'm like, go ahead, check it. I need you to check. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so at that time, like, my parents had left. My sisters had left. Like, you know, we thought we were done for the night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she confirmed my water had, in fact, broken. And she was like, you know, I'll be back to check on you. And probably, like, 45 minutes later, she came back, and I was already dilated to a six. Good grief. And, like, things. From a one to a six? Yes. Dang. Quickly. Like, things were moving so fast. So, like, the ner- other nurses started coming in, like, getting the bed ready for the baby, you know, mm-hmm. where they do all that stuff. And I told her, I was like, I, like, think I need a push. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer, like, my biggest fear probably two months before Rhett was born was having the baby. Right. I looked at Keen. I was like, I don't know how this baby is coming out. Right. But it ain't me. Right. No, like I totally my get pain that. tolerance is zero. Mm-hmm. I get a paper cut, I'm crying. Right. Facts. Like got it. So I don't know. It's just so crazy what like your body can do because right. I just you like seriously was terrified like, of giving birth. And then yeah. here I am, you know, she's like, you know, she checks me. I'm like, I think I need a push. And she was like, No, like you were just at a six. Like, I'm sure you're fine. I was like, No, like I don't I mean, I've never done this before. I don't really know, but like, I'm what I'm, I'm feeling. But like, <laughs> right. I think I need to push. Mm-hmm. And so, like TMI. I mean, we're all women here, and if yeah. there's any men listening, you Might probably turn it off. <laughs> um, either have a wife that has a baby, or right. you're gonna have a children, a child. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I kind of feel like I like I need to go to the bathroom. Like I need to push. Oh, it's time. And like I need. She was like, like you need to poop. And I was like, oh yeah. yeah. She was like, let me check you. And I was at an eight and she was like, do not push. Like you're right there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we were waiting for the anesthesiologist to come in. But I, like at a certain point, you don't have any control over it. Your body it, just, I just does I it. Like, you know, and then I had the uncontrollable convulsing shakes. Yep. I just, do you I feel like that was adrenaline or like a combo I, of, I wish I knew what it was, honestly. Like, it's such an like outer body experience that right. I like part of me wishes that we would have videoed the whole thing. So right. I could like, well, obviously like I have a great memory, but right. you know, I just had the convulsing shakes. I lost full control of my body, yep. you know? Um, and so 
by the grace of God, I'm not sure. <laughs> I heard that you couldn't get an epidural past a certain. I think I've heard that too. Amount of time, but I was right at like an eight, mm-hmm. and I was able to get one. Love so the you. anesthesiologist was super nice. He came in and he was like, "Look, I'm very good at my job, but I need you to sit up and stop." convulsing. He was like, it's a very normal, it's mm-hmm. a very normal thing for your body to do once you're in full labor with like no medication. Right. That's what it's like. You lose full control. Like, mm-hmm. and also I say like so much, so I'm really it's sorry fine. for listening and now you'll never <laughs> be able to unhear it. Um, it's fine. <laughs> especially recapping a story when you're like, there you there go. You go. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. I say, uh, and like, it's okay. so anyways, he said he was very good at his job and to Stop shaking enough for him to put the epidural in. Right. You're like, if I could turn it off, boo, trust me. Right. So my mom, you know, helped me lean over the bed and hold me still. And he got it in very quickly, Mm -hmm. laid back down. And he looked at me and said, how are you feeling? And I said, well, I mean, when, when does it start working? Right. And he was like, oh, I already like pushed your button. You're full. Like, this is it. I was like, oh, um, okay, well, I could feel everything on the right side of my body. So I had a hot spot. Oh, Lord of mercy. In grand scheme of things, I'm grateful for because I was able to tell Dr. Smith and the doctors when a contraction was coming. Right. So we didn't have to watch the screen or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I was able to, you know, kind of have control of that situation. But after about 20 minutes uh-huh. and a few pushes, Rhett was here. Mm-hmm. Very he said, okay, fast. I guess I'll come out now. I could not believe I birthed a baby. Like I remember sitting there and I said, I just had a whole ass baby. I mean, I'm a two time <laughs> C-section mom. So I literally am so, and I'm done, but I'm so in awe of women that like have children vaginally. I'm like, you did that because I don't know if I could ever. I was so amazed. And I believe however the child gets here, like you are a woman, like yes. you are a total badass. But I just couldn't believe because I was such zero pain tolerance that right. I was able to do it. So, you know, it was a great delivery. Mm-hmm. I had no problems. Dr. Smith coached me through it beautifully. I owe him everything. I trust him with my life. He is Dr. Smith is the, the best. best doctor in the world. Yes. I had no tearing, no anything. He coached me. He told me when to soft push, big push. I had to stop pushing for a little bit because Rhett did have his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Okay. So there was a point where he was able to slow it down mm-hmm. um, so he could unwrap it and everything like that. But mm-hmm. other than that, it was a perfect delivery. And, you know. Dr. Smith is truly the best of the best. Anyone it was a very says, proud moment of my life. Yes. And anyone who says one bad thing about Dr. David Smith, you're lying. We don't believe you. I ride so yes. hard for Dr. Smith, I will come for you. 150%. <laughs> like, yes. we ride at dawn if anybody has anything Absolutely. bad to Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm driving the bus. So um, so after Rhett was born, um, you know, how did um, how did things go? Let's go to uh, time to take Rhett home. Okay. So after Rhett was born, everything was great. Right. Um, we had no problems. Mm-hmm. He stayed in the room with us. Everything was great. He was a little bit jaundiced. Okay. So I was, I think the next day he was born, he was in the little jaundice, the little light bucket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he stayed in there. And the next day, Friday morning, we were going home. Yeah. I had already been discharged and Keen had packed up the car. Mm-hmm. He actually went to work that morning. They have a staff meeting on Fridays and he asked me, you know, if he could go there for an hour. And I was like, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been, we are good. We haven't had any issues. My hospital room was packed up. There was nothing left but me and Rhett sitting there mm-hmm. waiting for Keen. 
um, Rhett had a small procedure before mm-hmm. he was able to leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so after that procedure, you have to wait 30 minutes mm-hmm. just to make sure there's no issues. And right. then Rhett was going to be discharged. Okay. So they brought him back to me and we were just sitting for our, you know, 30 minute wait. Mm-hmm. And when they came back to check him, his um, sight was like oozing blood. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bleeding and it wasn't you know, it wasn't like um, gushing. It wasn't gushing, but when you touched it or when you um, went to wipe it off, mm-hmm. there was blood. Okay. And so they will not let you leave the hospital with that situation. So right. they make you sit there for another 30 minutes. Okay. Um, so we waited every 30 minutes for about two hours. Okay. And then Dr. Smith took him back um, just to check everything, make sure, you know, clean it up, see how it was going, brought him back out. And he actually made a very small comment. He was like, you know, I've never seen anything like this, you know, bleed before. Mm -hmm. Ooze. I Mm -hmm. hate to say it was bleeding because it wasn't. Right. But, you know, ooze. Um, And he was like, you know, he might have just like a little bit of a blood clotting situation. Right. And I was like, oh, you know, do I need to look into that? Should that be checked? And he was like, no, just like mental note, you know, maybe mention it to your pediatrician, but right. everything should clear up. You know, it didn't I'll, seem like overly concerned. Nothing. He said, I'll be back in 30 minutes to check you again. Right. I'm sure you'll be out. So at that point, Keen was back. Like I said, he was only gone for about an hour. Mm-hmm. And after about three, three and a half hours, mm-hmm. um, they had made this decision, St. Elizabeth, to keep us. Okay. They would not let him leave. Okay. So he was in our room. For, I was able to stay in the mm-hmm. hospital. So I was a room in, which okay. is kind of like for people that don't know, if the hospital isn't full mm-hmm. and they have room, you can room in kind of like a hotel. Okay. But you don't get, you know, food. They don't come by and bring your meds or anything like that. So right. I was able to stay in the hospital and not leave right behind. And he stayed in our room that night. He was fine, but it just never fully stopped bleeding. Okay. So the next morning... They made the decision to take him to the NICU okay. to be monitored so we could do some blood work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was brought to our attention that he was losing blood. Okay. Not from his incision site, somewhere. Just in his body. Inside. Internally. Yes. Um, so I immediately had to sign and approve to give him blood products. Uh-huh. You know, the hospital needs approval to allow any type of blood transfusion or platelet transfusion. Okay. So he was given a blood transfusion and platelets just okay. to get his blood count back up. Uh-huh. Um, that was Excuse probably me. early in the morning, like 6 a.m. This is the next day. This is the next day. This okay. is Saturday. So that was super early. So he was in the NICU all day long, and I was able to go hold him in the NICU, do mm-hmm. skin to skin, that kind of stuff. But they had him hooked up. Right. Um, you know, his IV with babies, they have a soft spot on the top of their head. Yeah. So his IV was done in the top of his head, mm-hmm. which is, was pretty traumatic. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to, it's a lot to be to like in the NICU and then to see him like that. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, this is scary. Mm-hmm. So I was able to hold him, um, and then I had made the decision that I was going to pump like crazy because I felt like I mm-hmm. couldn't do anything. Right. At the time, I felt very helpless. Mm-hmm. So I just started power pumping so that oh, I yes, could it's... just do something, you know, right. feel some type of contributing to my kid. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Also, this is not a scripted podcast. Right. So, so we're probably going to cry. <laughs> and that's just, Alyssa and I have never had one time since 
maybe the first, uh, maybe we cry. I think I cried the first time I met you. We cry every single time. So if we cry, <laughs> just it happens. Um, so anyways, he was in the NICU all uh-huh. day long. Um, we just didn't have answers. We didn't yeah. know what was going on. He was having blood transfusions and getting blood products, but his blood count wasn't going up. Okay. So after being in the hospital from Monday to Saturday, mm-hmm. um, I was advised that it was best for me to leave the hospital. Right. Which is super hard because I mean, yes, you want to go home, but like you want to go home with your baby and like, this right. is not how you wanted to do it. Um, I was, you know, they told me I could room in, but at this time my feet were so incredibly swollen. Right. Um, I couldn't put any shoes on. I had been walking to the NICU. I had just given birth on mm-hmm. Wednesday and mm-hmm. you know, this is Saturday Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Smith and my nurses and my family felt like, I mean, I had been in the hospital and I hadn't seen sunshine since Monday right. and it was Saturday. Yes. Um, I did go out and sit at the, you know, sit outside the hospital for an hour just uh-huh. because they felt like I needed to leave the four walls of my room. Right. <laughs> um, but as much as I didn't want to leave him in the NICU mm-hmm. at St. Elizabeth, Everyone felt like it was best. So very hard decision. And then um, surprisingly, a girl that I grew up to with, went to high school with, Allie Doucette, okay. she was working that night in the NICU. And I know her very well. I trust her. And she, you know, assured me that if anything happens, she would reach out to me yeah. to go home, get some sleep. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's would be best for, for, you know, his mom to get some sleep. Right. So we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I went home Saturday night and Sunday, probably around 6.30, 7 a.m., mm-hmm. St. Elizabeth called me and asked me how quickly I could get to the hospital Okay, because Rhett was declining mm-hmm. and they didn't know how long or what was happening. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You're okay. <laughs> You're fine. Um. So we get to the NICU mm-hmm. and he is just, you know, hooked up to all this stuff. He's very lethargic. Right. And they let us know that they have reached out to Texas Children mm-hmm. to kangaroo crew him mm-hmm. to Texas Children. Okay. So um, it's a long, it's kind of a long process to get that set up. Yeah. So we were in the NICU at St. Elizabeth for probably about three more hours, mm-hmm. you know, while they just talked back and forth with Texas Children, all right. that stuff, waiting for the kangaroo crew to get to us. So actually the ambulance kangaroo crew is faster okay. than life flight. Yeah. Most of the time. Cause by the time they fuel up land, get them get loaded, a, get the ambulance to you, get them loaded, go back. So they let us know that he would be by ambulance. That was the fastest way to get him there. Okay. And I'll never forget when Texas children showed up because I, I mean, St. Elizabeth is a great hospital. They're right. a level three NICU, but Texas children, blew my mind these they're incredible five people like in like a i swear it looked like a spacesuit. like they uh-huh. all matched mm-hmm. they were so professional mm-hmm. they were so educated they were a well-oiled machine right so they showed up and you know they were prepping him and getting him ready mm-hmm. talking to the saint elizabeth NICU, going back and forth just making sure they were educated on everything that happened at saint elizabeth mm-hmm. the head um, nurse on the kangaroo crew was actually on the phone communicating with all the doctors at Texas Children, mm-hmm. speaking so back and forth. It was insane. Right. Anything that St. Elizabeth said, 
the nurse did, and he was on the phone repeating it back to Texas Children, and they were communicating the entire process of Mm -hmm. setting him up. So they did let me know that they were going to head and intubate him. At the time, he was breathing on his own, Okay, but they felt it was best to intubate him before they got on the ambulance because it is harder to do on a moving vehicle. Right. You know, and he advised me, he was very kind, that he didn't feel like it was best for me to ride in the ambulance with Red. Mm Mm-hmm. Just let me know, um, you know, all the details. It's very bumpy. Mm-hmm. It's very aggressive. Right. He's fine. Mm-hmm. He's safe. We do this all the time, but it's very traumatic mm-hmm. for, especially when we're going 100 miles an hour to get there. Yeah. So we made the decision that we would just follow behind. Mm-hmm. And so I'll never forget, he was a very sweet nurse. And he, he when I told Rhett bye, he said, um, okay, little buddy, like, I'm taking you on your first car ride. Mm-hmm. You're going to look back in 18 years and your parents are going to give you hell for putting them through this. <laughs> right. Because at the time, nobody knew. Right. Nobody knew. Mm-hmm. So we loaded up mm-hmm. and went to Texas Children where, um, you know, Houston, I always feel like it's such a big world and I'm always lost. Oh, for sure. Even though it's two hours away, right. you know. Um, so, you know, we get to this hospital. I'd never been to Texas Children before. Okay. And I'm like, Wow. Yeah. This place is huge. It is. There is like 95 floors. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. There's so many departments. Mm-hmm. So we finally find um, the NICU mm-hmm. where Rhett is. And, you know, they're just setting him up, getting everything. So they had to do their own level of testing. Okay. Just evaluation, I guess. You know, yeah, like standard stuff. Standard stuff. Okay. Um, and she told me, she, I, I said, can we know what's going on? Like right, we left St. Elizabeth and I got the call this morning and my baby was dying. Like, right. where are we at? Uh-huh. And she was like, Oh mama, like his vitals are good. Mm-hmm. He He's breathing on his own. Like he's intubated, but his, his vitals, his heart rate, everything's good. Like mm-hmm. we are going to figure out what's going on, but we, we think everything's going to be okay. He's, he's doing great right now. Right. Um, she said, go get something to eat. It takes about, three hours for them to really like do evaluate. Whole, yeah. They the do their thing. own from start to finish. So we walked across the street to Mod Pizza, which we will never eat there again. Right. <laughs> so and we hadn't eaten in days at mm-hmm. this point. And Keenan and I were eating and I, I just reassured him. I said, hey, she said everything was fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's eat. Let's take a breather. Um backtrack you know when we got there we didn't know how long we were going to be there right so i asked about the ronald mcdonald house yes and it was full mm-hmm. you have to reapply for the ronald mcdonald house every morning okay to stay in it that's just their standard process okay but she did she did tell me she said you know um there are rooms available but we save those for parents where their children are declining okay so as of right now we don't have any room and you don't qualify for one of those rooms okay so we got the, we got a hotel no big deal um, so we ate at Mod Pizza waiting and I got the call from our nurse and she said that we needed to make our way that way, that mm-hmm. they had some information for us. And so we did. And I hit the front desk before you can in, be admitted to the NICU. They have to button you in. Mm-hmm. And the lady handed me my key mm-hmm. to the Ronald McDonald house. Mm-hmm. So I... I looked at Keen. I was like, well, this isn't good. Yeah. We know what this means. Right. You know? Um, so we made it back to the NICU. It is 
um, huge. Mm-hmm. The NICU at Texas Children. I mean, lines and lines of babies. And we were in the very, very back. Okay. And it's just sad. Yeah, you know, worse. it's just horrible. I wouldn't wish the NICU on my worst enemy. You right. know, they were it's an overwhelming place. It is. And I just couldn't believe the line of babies we were passing right. to get back there. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, they let us know that Rhett did need blood products. He was continuing to bleed out internally. Okay. That he had a brain bleed mm-hmm. and that he needed surgery to release the pressure on his brain, but they had to review with their entire department. So Texas Children is very, very thorough. Right. Every single doctor, every team came and spoke to me. Mm-hmm. They introduced themselves, explained what they were doing, mm-hmm. why they were doing it. Right. Um, like his pick line, the doctor that did his pick line, she brought me documentation as to why statistically putting his pick line where she put it was best. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... All bases were covered. I was so appreciated of as course. well. You know, and I, it's overwhelming. Don't it get is. me wrong. I was in an overwhelming it's experience. It's a lot of information. Very quickly. But I was just amazed at their team. Right. You can just, you can appreciate how thorough they are in that so moment. So thorough. Um, side note, I would love to go to some type of training of their new hire training because (laughs) I mean, it's the hospital, but it's customer service and it was top notch. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, anyways, crazy, incredible. So good. So they let us know that, you know, he had a brain bleed. They needed to relieve the pressure Mm -hmm. and that they felt he had some type of bleeding disorder, um, factor eight, Mm -hmm. some type of something, but with genetic testing, you know, that takes a while. So they uh-huh. only have the blood work that's given to them at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to continue to give him blood product. So they let us know they would get their team together mm-hmm. and talk and come back to us. At this point, it's probably around 7 p.m. on Sunday. And about 30 minutes later, their head neurologist came in mm-hmm. and told us that um, his brain bleed was just getting worse. They were going to take him back in the next 45 minutes for surgery, mm-hmm. but he might not make it off the table. Mm-hmm. Did we want to move forward with right. surgery? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Right. <laughs> Save my baby. Like, yeah, you know, uh-huh. there's a risk with everything, but, oh, you know, we had made the decision. Yes. To move forward. Move forward. Do the surgery. Okay. So lots of waiting, you know, right. everyone has to make their rounds. A minute feels like a year. It does. You know, they have to get a team together. He was high risk to transport for an MRI. So they just had to make sure they had all their T's crossed and their I's dotted for his safety to get him where he needed to be. Mm -hmm. And by the time that everyone was ready for surgery, Mm -hmm. they asked us to step into a room to talk with the team of his doctors. So we did. And mind you, this is just me and Keen. Mm-hmm. Our parents haven't made it up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the NICU, you can only have two people with you at a time. So obviously it was me and Keen. So, right. you know, at 27 and 28 years old, first time parents, mm-hmm. just the two of us. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I needed my mom. <laughs> right. Of course. And she was coming. She was coming right. like hell. But at the time, you know, it like, just it's just us. You mm-hmm. know, we're his parents. Mm-hmm. So they sat us down in this room mm-hmm. and let us know that Rhett's brain bleed had gotten too bad mm-hmm. and he was brain dead mm-hmm. and how we wanted to move forward. So um, Keen and I sat there, you know, 
ask the questions of what does this mean? Brain dead. Mm -hmm. Um, I know this is not funny. It's not relatable, but I've seen many episodes of Grey's Anatomy. Same sis. So, um, I'm going to credit that for at least <laughs> prepping me for a fraction of what you a thought fraction you knew. Of, right. I looked at Keena, I was like, okay, well, I know what brain dead means. Right. So, you know, we asked what life would look like mm-hmm. if, and he wasn't breathing on his own mm-hmm. and he would, if, if he survived on his own, mm-hmm. And was able to get off of these machines with the level of brain dead that he was. He would never walk, eat, talk, okay. anything by himself. Mm-hmm. That's no life we want for our child. Right. You want him to have the best uh, quality of life. Totally. So they said they would evaluate him one more time mm-hmm. um, to see how his breathing was. Did it pick up any, um, you know, did anything change? But at the time, like, this is what our cards were looking like. So Keenan and I made the decision um, following the next evaluation that if he was brain dead and was not breathing on his own, mm-hmm. was not, you know, no people response, nothing like that, that we would make the decision to take him off life support. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the doctors told us, you know, this is a big decision. He's a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. If you want to go home, sleep on it, you know, you can come back tomorrow. You can make the decision tomorrow. You mm-hmm. have a few days. How do you go? How home do you do that? And sleep on it. Right. Uh, it's not going to change the next day. Right. Your mind is going a million miles an hour. There will be no sleep. There's no sleep to be had. There's none. You know, and they explained right. to us if he were to code uh-huh. and they had to do CPR, mm-hmm. that they would break his ribs. Right. Because he's a baby. Yeah. They're not strong enough. Yeah. Um, they let us know that babies feel anxious. Mm hmm. And they can feel pain. Mm -hmm. And when I found out, you know, that it was possible for him to feel anxious and uneasy, Mm -hmm. that's not what I want. Of course not. You know, so um, we made the decision to continue to move forward, Mm -hmm. that last evaluation. Um, And then they had to educate us on how long it would take. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it could take days. Right. Um, you know, when you remove someone off life support, their body has to do shut down. Right. And that could take days, hours. You never know. Right. Um, I didn't know that. I've never <laughs> taken anyone off life support. Right. So, um, you know, gave us all the information. Mm-hmm. And they were going, they could they could test that, though. You know, okay. when they would stop all of his machines in mm-hmm. the level of breathing and response that they would get, they could let us know, like, it could take they, they kind of give you a time frame right. of what to expect. Mm-hmm. So during this last evaluation, we made phone calls to our parents mm-hmm. and let them know that if they wanted to say goodbye mm-hmm. to come on up, it was time. Mm-hmm. Such an outer body experience. Right. I can't even imagine. To um, find strength. Right. In the words. Mm-hmm. And not that I wasn't crying. I cried. Like, Keith and I both wailed. Yeah. In our little cube in the NICU. So, um, our parents were coming. Mm-hmm. Coming. And, which we had time for them to get here. Like I said, yeah. it's, it's not an instant process. So, uh-huh. my parents were able to come. Um, my sister stayed behind. We just felt like that was best. We can only have so many people in the NICU. Right. Um, they only allow 
more than two people when someone is passing. So my parents came, Keen's mom and stepdad came, and um, our priest came and baptized Rhett okay. with all of us before we move any move forward. Okay. And so after all of that, and just, you know, kind of mourning with our family, talking about it, and trying to wrap our brains around what we were going through, right. Keen and I um, made the decision to stay in our room while he passed. Mm-hmm. They have resources. They have like a, a hope room, I guess you could say. Okay. And it has like a, a baby bed mm-hmm. and baby clothes and kind of like a mock nursery. Okay. I didn't know that. I found that to be very traumatic. Right. For me, mm-hmm. my baby has a nursery yes. at home. Right. There is no fake nursery, super nice resource. People use it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's grief journey is different. So and I different. support that. I'm right. in no way saying what works for me should work for everybody, mm-hmm. works for the next person. It doesn't. For me, I could not go in this room that nothing belonged to my baby. Right. I just didn't want to be in there. I, I, to me, that was traumatic. So... Um, we held Rhett while he was intubated still, and then made the decision to, when it was time, when we were ready to take him off life support. Okay. Um, they let you do that however you want to. Mm-hmm. They asked me, sorry. You're okay. If I wanted to hold him. Mm-hmm. Until he passed. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So I laid in the bed with him. Mm -hmm. Because I could not physically hand over my lifeless baby. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, that's tough. Letting him go. Right. And then letting him go and then letting him go again. Yes. Yeah. So. I don't know if I could do that. It was best for me and Keen. Um you know, for us to lay there with him and we held him that way mm-hmm. and snuggled him and loved on him uh-huh. and um, just let him know that we loved him. Right. It was very short. Mm-hmm. I say very short. Um, it was about an hour. Okay. It took about an hour mm-hmm. and every 30 minutes the doctor comes in and checks their heartbeat mm-hmm. and lets you know they're still alive or mm-hmm. it's done. So the whole process is traumatic. Right. From start to finish. From start to finish. Yeah. And you know, at this point, our doctors were so nice. We'd only been at Texas Children for 12 hours and these people grieved with us. Right. Cried with us. I mean, I had such a great experience with Texas Children. All things considered, it was. All things considered. It was such a traumatic event. I felt very loved. Right. By people that. Very heard. Didn't know me from Adam and had only talked to me for five minutes. (laughs) Right. So, um, like I said, about 45 minutes later, our baby caught us angel wings. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget one of our head nurses. She pulled me to the side and she just told me that and you know, they see sad stuff all the time. Right. It's a sad place. It's the NICU. Yeah. I mean, 
But I feel like it's... I would say statistically the amount of people that are walking out of the NICU uh bringing their baby home is very low. Okay. So, you know, they see this sad stuff all the time, but she pulled me to the side and she was crying and she said, I have never in all my years met a stronger mom and dad like you guys did what was best for your child. Right. Without any second thought. Without any second thought. You didn't do what was best for you. Right. I mean, selfishly, I would, I mean, would I have wanted to hold him for days before? Of course. For sure. But they let me know my baby could feel anxious. And I feel like that's so important as far as like the process of it helped you make the decisions that you made with Rhett and the time that you had with him was strictly, I mean, of course your motherly instinct, but then at the same time, it's like all these super educated people giving you, they're not sugarcoating it for you. They're just giving it to you straight. And I feel like that was just from you telling your story to me and me taking everything in. I feel like they're how open they were with the, you and Keena's parents helped make your experience in your last moments with him really, truly what they were. A hundred percent. And they gave me all the tools and resources that I need to make an educated decision. Right. So I didn't feel like I needed to drag it along. Right. Um, we knew all we needed mm-hmm. and we knew in our hearts what was best. And it wasn't about us anymore. It was right. about him and mm-hmm. his health, his overall well-being and how he felt. And so, um, you know, we left the NICU, we left the hospital and we spent the night in Houston. By that time it was like 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. So we went back to our hotel room and cried it out together. Right. Um, you know, one thing I'll never for- forget is Keen telling me that I cried in my sleep. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so sad. Right. And, um, you know, the pressure that he felt right as my husband, as the man of our household, right. you know, and as a father. he was crushed too. Like, right. I made sure to never minimalize Keenan's grief. Right. Even though, yes, I carried him. Mm-hmm. I knew him before anybody else did. Right. We both lost a child. Of course. No, no grief was bigger or smaller. Right. So then we... Made the drive home with no baby in our car seat and figured out how to live the rest of our life. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so, I mean, people hear about people losing their children, like whether they're three days old, 30 years old, you know, it doesn't matter. There's so many layers and it's like you think of grief the way that I've always thought about it is you think of it as this one big room and it's got so many doors Mm -hmm. and you walk through each door. You don't know when this door is going to unlock and open, but one day you're going to walk through it and it's not just, okay, I lost my child. It's how you lost your child, the hours and moments leading up to that, the final moments. And then after that, I mean, I mean, you guys are young, young parents, like, I mean, just faced with, I mean, truly the unimaginable, I mean, planning your child's memorial. I mean, that's just not the way it's supposed to go. It's not, you know, and I have to say, I feel like God just took over my life. Right. Um, I, I didn't grow up super religious. Okay. I grew up as a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did go to church. We didn't go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and moved out and was in college, mm-hmm. I continued to be a believer, of course, and, you know, worshiped and prayed in my own way, but never really, um, just really gave myself to the Lord. 
mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to explain it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he showed himself to me many times when, you know, Keen and I met at Claybar's to plan his memorial, his funeral. Mm-hmm. And we were just able to answer the questions. This is what we want. This is what we don't want. You know, this is what's important. This is what's not. And there was no sobbing. Right. Um, obviously, tears were shed. But right. Just such a, a huge, like, I mean, just the most strength you can ever, you don't know where it comes I from. I don't know where it came from. But it, it came from, I, I truly uh, believe it came from God. Like higher he gave power it, that be. Because yes. I um, would say before this happened, I've been through some stuff and I, I, I'm a strong person, but mm-hmm. weak compared to what I was. Right now. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, planned it all and had a beautiful memorial for him. Literally the most beautiful <laughs> service I've ever been to. The best day, if you could call that the best day. Truly a celebration. Those that know my husband, he is an avid hunter. He guides at Pipkin Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, the owners at Pipkin Ranch are the nicest people. Mm-hmm. You will not meet a more genuine family and allowed us to have his memorial on the very last Sunday of hunting season, which is huge. So they had hunters that morning, Mm -hmm. all of Keen's guide friends guided for him. And, you know, then they all, some changed, some stayed in their waiters Mm -hmm. and then they showed up for Keen two hours later at this memorial. They Mm -hmm. turned the the lodge around from a hunting extravaganza into a beautiful memorial. And Mm -hmm. the ladies at Corville's and, Jesse and Jamie, you know, they, HB Nold, they did so much for us. And a, a lot of it we took care of, but a lot of it we didn't have to. Right. We had people just really show up for us and handle everything. So we really got to enjoy the day as well. And yeah. we ended the day um, duck hunting. <laughs> In true Wilson fashion. In true Keen Wilson fashion. We yes. put on our waders, yeah. uh, dried up the tears, pulled my... Freshly curled hair back in a ponytail, and we finished off and watched the sunset and prayed for better days ahead. Right. And you prayed, and boy, did they come. <laughs> they came. Yes, um, they you know, did. We serve a very redeeming Lord. And, yes. um, you know, when we left Texas Children, we knew that he had some type of blood disorder, but okay. the genetic testing typically takes about two weeks to come back. Okay. So we didn't have... You had some answers, but we not knew the full. cause of death, right? Obviously, but we didn't know what the full scale was. Okay. So two weeks later, we knew he had a blood disorder. Didn't know what it was. Two weeks later, they called Texas Children. Our genetic counselor called us and let us know that he, in fact, did have hemophilia A. Okay. Um, which is a clotting disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, your factor eight is what makes your blood clot for you to stop bleeding. Okay. So. Little did we know, as soon as Rhett was born, he was affected by hemophilia A. And he was bleeding out internally all of his days, okay. which is something that we do on a regular basis. Like we bleed as humans on right. the inside, uh-huh. you know, um, and he, our joints bleed, all that stuff. But our clotting factor is what helps it stop. Helps it stop. Okay. Rhett did not have that. Okay. Every time we picked him up, we moved him. We just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas Children let us know, the neurologist let us know that if Rhett did not pass away in the hospital, he would have passed away in our home. Right. Which would have been a whole other... I would have burned my house down to the ground. I would have helped she you do it. She told me that um, he would have just gone down for what I thought was a nap and never woken up. Right. So for that, I'm grateful. Right. If there is a silver lining to all of this. 100%. He, you know, 
I couldn't imagine that aspect. Right. So I'm so grateful and I feel so blessed that the Lord took care of my mental health in that way. Right. An and uncontrollable it, situation gave you just an inkling of yes. control as far as being able to be with him. For sure. Um, so hemophilia A is most of the time passed down genetically. Okay. So that led to myself being genetic tested. Okay. Um, turns out that I am a carrier for hemophilia A. Mm-hmm. So women are carriers. They carry the gene that affects males. There are some females that do have hemophilia, but it's very rare. Okay. Um, so men have hemophilia. Women are carriers. So because I'm a carrier, I passed it down to my son. Okay. Um, I got a genetic counselor and learned way more than I ever wanted to. <laughs> right. Anything and everything. About myself. So what uh-huh. that led to is finding out how I became a carrier. Okay. A carrier. So you had your, all the women in your family tested. So your mom and your sister. My mom and my sisters. Okay. Obviously my mom um, was tested and came back that she's not a carrier. Okay. So women can, you can pass it down to your your daughter as well. She just won't be affected most of the time. Uh, okay. So my all mom right. could have passed it down to me and mm-hmm. made me a carrier and then, like, if she would have had a son, he could have had it. So that's typically how it's passed down. And my mom is not a carrier. Wow. And my sisters are not carriers as well. So it's just you. It's just me. That is so, genetics are so, it's so wild. Weird. Um, it could be. It was just a spontaneous genetic flip. Right, because it does. I mean, it has to start with somebody. It starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone has something wrong genetically, but... I mean, you can't even figure out all the genetically things wrong with you. There's millions. Right. Um, So we found out that, you know, I'm a carrier. Mm -hmm. Keaton and I both did genetic testing moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a recessive carrier for a few other traits that are very small that only come into play if Keen were a carrier as well. Okay. So that's kind of how it plays. You're either... You carry something that's very dominant that mm-hmm. you can immediately pass down. Okay. Or you carry something that's recessive and your spouse has to match you recessively. For it to be for then it to passed pass down. down. Okay. Yeah. Genetics are wild. It's bizarre. Yes. So Keen carries nothing. Because <laughs> Keen's perfect. So to be, um, you know, a Nightwalker ginger. Right. He <laughs> is pretty genetically clean. <laughs> right. That's crazy. And so from there, we probably found out Rhett passed on... January 24th, and this was mid-February when we got these results. So, I mean, relatively quickly. It was relatively quickly, about a month's process. And Mm -hmm. so from there, you know, our question was, how do we move forward with our family? Right. Family planning. Mm -hmm. So Texas Children let us know that they did not recommend us to try to conceive naturally. Okay. So how it works is because I'm a carrier, I have a 50% chance that I pass it down to every male. If you conceive naturally. If I conceive naturally. Okay. Rhett was the bad 50%. Okay. I passed it down. There is no rhyme or reason to genetics. I could have, I could pass it down the bad 50% every single time, or it could never happen again. Mm-hmm. But because my mutation was so severe and Rhett's diagnosis was so severe, they did not recommend. Texas Children recommended that we use a fertility clinic. Okay. So that we could move forward with genetic testing, genetic testing our embryos. Mm -hmm. The only way to test for hemophilia, if we were to try to conceive naturally, is at 17 weeks. Mm -hmm. We could do testing. They would let us know um, a roundabout confirmation if the baby had hemophilia. 
but there is, you know, um, they wouldn't be able to hundred percent tell until I was able to have an amnio at around 20 weeks. Okay. And then at 20 weeks, the amnio would let me know that either the baby was healthy mm-hmm. or the baby was affected by hemophilia and would either pass away at birth again, or I could make the decision to medically terminate the pregnancy right. and be flown out of the state of Texas to have that procedure. Yeah. It just neither one of those decisions were ones I ever wanted to make. Of course. I would never return from losing another child. Right. And me personally could not be able to make the decision mm-hmm. to medically terminate. So, yeah. um, we went with Texas children's recommendation to use a fertility clinic. Okay. Um, I say this, lightly in the nicest way possible. Um, I know there are certain people that feel some type of way about genetic testing and IVF and all that stuff. But until you hold your baby and he passes away in your arms and his body goes from warm to cold, his little fingers are stone cold. You don't get to give me your opinion. No, you don't. I respect everyone's opinion. Right. A hundred percent. But it's just that. And it's an, we it's an opinion. We are all here to believe mm-hmm. different things. Right. It would be a very boring world if we all believed the same thing. I am the person that supports everybody. Yes. But, you know, if you had cancer, you would seek medical intervention. Of course. You would seek medical in- intervention and you would pray for a miracle. Mm-hmm. And Texas Children recommended me to seek medical intervention and pray for a healthy family. Right. And so that's what we did. Exactly. Um, so um, anyways, our IVF journey moved pretty quickly because Texas Children let us know that there are some genetic mutations that can't be tested for with IVF. Okay. So we had to find a fertility clinic that had a lab that was able to successfully test for hemophilia. Um, so we moved on that very quickly just because we wanted to have answers right. on how to move forward with our family. Mm-hmm. If there's anything I'm very grateful for is Keena and I were definitely on the same page about wanting to have children again. Right. Um, the reward completely outweighed the risk for us to be 100%. parents. And we knew that we wanted to be parents. Mm-hmm. We always wanted to have several children. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen um, several families that have lost children early on and they never had kids ever again. Right. And if I never wanted to have kids again, or if Keen didn't, I feel like we would have had to respect that decision. And this is how people get divorced. Right. And don't come back from it. So it's a huge thing in a relationship to survive and surpass something so big. Totally. And so we made the decision together. Keen looked at me and he said, when you're ready, I'm ready. I'm ready to support you. An absolute king. Absolute king. (laughs) He's so great. Uh Um. You know, I, I, I feel like it's easy to post the good stuff on Facebook. Right. Um, you know, many people know that I've the kind of Facebooked reel. my journey mm-hmm. and Keen and I have grieved very differently. Mm-hmm. We have said things to each other that are unforgivable, mm-hmm. things that can't be forgotten and there's no apology big enough. Right. But at the end of the day, we continue to choose each other. Yes. And so I think that is a big part of how we've made it to the other side of this grief journey. Yeah. Men grieve very differently. They do. 
men are very weird with their feelings. Right. You know, there were times where he had to be by himself and I felt alone. Right. And there were times where I did my own thing and he felt alone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we just had to figure it out. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to say that we didn't go to bed mad. Right. That's not real life for us. Right. You know, they always say like, oh, never go to bed mad. Like. You're like, no, I went to bed pissed. There's a difference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we went to bed loving each other. Right. And knowing that, hey, I'm going to choose you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But right now. But right now. I want to be mad. I'm pissed. Right. And you're pissed at me. Let's just go to bed. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, another way that I feel like the Lord showed himself is just to give us the strength to move forward because Alyssa, before Rhett passed away, mm-hmm. was crazy and we popped <laughs> off. Uh-huh. And I kind of had no respect for, I don't want to say no respect. I always respect Keen, but it was easy for, easy for me to want to push his boundary. Right. You would talk first and think after. Yes. You know, just say what I felt, right. unfiltered, mm-hmm. no matter what. Like, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to suppress my feelings, no matter how it makes you feel. Right. You get what you get. And looking back, like, you know, Rhett changed our lives in many ways. Right. He changed who we are as people, mm-hmm. how we treat other people, how we treat each other, mm-hmm. and how we're going to treat our children moving forward. Right. Um. So back to IVF, um, we had to find a fertility clinic that could positively test for hemophilia. Okay. So I think people are a little confused. Keen and I are able to have our own babies. Um, I've had several people ask me, you know, do you have to use an egg donor? Mm-hmm. Are you able to have biologically your own children? Right. And I am. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's a 50-50 chance. Um, there are men that are very much alive with hemophilia. Uh There are different severities. There's, you know, um, mild, severe, um, like low factor. So there are men walking around with hemophilia, you Mm -hmm. know, living life. There are, um, you know, medical interventions that are used to Mm -hmm. make sure they live a healthy life. But my Rhett's diagnosis was too far gone. Mm -hmm. So Rhett had a 0% clotting factor. Okay. Meaning there was nothing like there was absolutely nothing clotting his blood that made his case the most severe where other people have like um, a less than 1% clotting factor is only mild. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Rhett's case was very, very, very rare. Like the level of mutation that I have is very significant and very rare. So we had to find a lab that could test for hemophilia. Um, we reached out to Houston Fertility Institute. Mm-hmm. Dr. Skrebsky here locally in Beaumont is amazing. Um, he took our case on on a very personal level. Mm-hmm. He cried with us the day he met us. Um, he grieved with us as well. And from there, we were able to submit my blood work, my DNA. And Texas Children had extra vials of Rhett's DNA. Okay. And we were able to send that to their lab as well. And their lab let us know that they could 100% test for hemophilia. Wow. Which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Big news. Like this was um, a huge turning point in Mm -hmm. the way we were able to grow our family. Right. So it's called a probe. I don't ask me why it's called a probe, (laughs) but that is what it's called. And they were able to make a genetic probe that could test for the factor eight genetic mutation. Okay. If they couldn't test for it a hundred percent, they would not let us use it. Okay. So they confirmed that they were able to take our DNA, mine and Rhett's and positively identify that mutation 
in DNA. So they wanted to give you a hundred percent success for sure. And I appreciate that. Of you know course. what I mean? They let you know up front. And unfortunately, like you pay that dollar amount up front and right. but you can't put a price on that. You can't put a price on a healthy baby. No, there's no price tag. Mm-mm. Um, to me, there is no price tag on growing my family with my husband. Right. That is something I'm also gr- very grateful for that Keen and I were on the same page. Right. Um, you know, when we got our estimate on what it would cost us to do IVF to grow our family, mm-hmm. I needed to vomit. Right. You're telling me that I have to pay 50 plus thousand dollars to have a baby. Mm-hmm. That was like a huge grieving process for me as well. Right. I could have a baby. Mm-hmm. I just can't have a healthy one. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. If the Russian roulette fell, the right. cards fell in my favor. Right. So that broke me. Right. I definitely had to go through that process of accepting you know, what that would look like and how very unfair that felt for me. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that can just have them and have them and have them and don't yep. care for them. Right. But here we are, you know, wanting and longing so badly and you still have to go through all the things right. plus pay a dollar amount that we don't have. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. We're 28 years old. Right. I don't, I don't we have to in the bank. So <laughs> we are living in our starter home. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, um, my rogue, my 2016 rogue is almost paid off and I can't wait. <laughs> so, right. Um, I looked at Keen and I said, you know, what does this look like? What dollar amount do we stop? Mm-hmm. And what dollar amount do we say? Like, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and said, he would go to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And that he would sell, we would sell everything we owned. Mm-hmm. We would do whatever we needed to do mm-hmm. to um, find joy again. Right. So that's what we did. Um, we started our journey with IVF. We committed. We made the probe. Our probe was ready in April. Mm-hmm. I um, emergency had my gallbladder removed in May. Yes. Which was a whole sitch. Um, maybe if I have time at the later end of the podcast, or uh-huh. maybe there'll be a different one on mental health okay. and our hospital system and how it was very much so failed right? Um, in my gallbladder surgery. But so Rhett passed in January. We had our first fertility appointment, March 24th. Mm-hmm. Uh, our probe was ready May 10th. I had my gallbladder taken out June 1st. <laughs> Um, lots of events, lots of events, you know, people think I've been so very transparent on Facebook and I have, but right. there are things that have been kept secret for us to get through privately. Right. Um, so in August we had our very first egg retrieval of my eggs. So okay. for those that don't know the IVF process, um, we do an egg retrieval on myself mm-hmm. and then my eggs are fertilized with keen sperm. Mm-hmm. And then from there they have to grow into an embryo. Okay. An embryo is like a a five-day-old, it has to make it to day five, and it's a couple hundred cells. So on day one, you know, it splits into two cells, and then they have to continue to grow. Okay. But if they don't, they have to make it to day five. Mm -hmm. That is ideal. That's what makes it an embryo, and that's what potentially gives you a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So in August, we did our egg retrieval, um, which consisted of lots of shots, Lots in the of belly of shots, yes. Um, we did many shots at our friend's house, mm-hmm. outside of a bar, outside <laughs> of uh, a football game, a Westbrook football game, wherever you can, <laughs> wherever we were. We had to do them on a specific time frame. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my husband, Keen, is very anti-blood. He will pass out, but another place where God took control, mm-hmm. I felt like I was broken and I couldn't handle giving myself the shots. Mm-hmm. And Keen gave every single shot to me, mm-hmm. um, along with my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad was very supportive. And when Keen um, was working or had another obligation, like I said, they have to be done at a certain time frame. Right. My dad stepped up and helped. So we had our first egg retrieval in August. Uh, we went in very optimistic because mm-hmm. essentially, you know, I didn't have endometriosis. I didn't have PCOS. So mm-hmm. we had a very high success rate of getting embryos, um, you know, getting a lot of eggs and then fertilizing. Right. And so I'll never forget when I woke up from our egg retrieval, Dr. Skrubsky took his hand in mine and got choked up and told me they got, he was able to retrieve 30 eggs mm-hmm. and I would never have to do this again. Like I would say the standard egg retrieval for most women is anywhere from six to 11 and right. we retrieved 30. Wow. So, um, out of our 30, we had 16 fertilized mm-hmm. into, you know, a potential embryo mm-hmm. And we were um, devastated to find out that out of our 16 embryos, all of them stopped growing on day three. Wow. We lost every single embryo, every single egg. Um, Very rare situation. Mm -hmm. You know, for those people that don't feel like IVF is godly, Mm -hmm. God and nature still have to run its course. Of course. It's not 100% guarantee. Right. There are many factors, um, you know, I think people think IVF is such a controlled, you know, guarantee right. and it is not, we were devastated. Right. Um, our doctor was devastated. Right. We, you know, they called the lab, make sure, made sure that, you know, no one messed up, nothing mm-hmm. happened and it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. We had a failed round. And so, um, in September we decided that we would add a few different things to try and have a better outcome for the next round. Mm -hmm. Um, Keen and I talked and, you know, after postpartum without my baby and the hormonal changes that go on to IVF, which is pumping your body full of hormones. Right. I, I wouldn't say I was crazy, but everybody realized what my body was going through. Right. It's a lot. I mean, I went from, I think I lost almost 40 pounds when Rhett died, Mm -hmm. which a lot of that was, postpartum weight, like that's pretty standard, you know, and I gained all of it back with IVF, pumping my body full of hormones mm-hmm. over and over again. And so Keen looked at me and he was like, you know, balls in your court. Like if we need to take a break, we can do that. You know, this is your body. This mm-hmm. is what you want to do. And I chose to just persevere. Right. It was important to me to grow our family. Right. We're doing this. I'm a mom. Right. A hundred percent. Nothing is off off the board for me to do for my children. Right. I would take shots over and over again. Right. I mean, I know that I have to be a healthy mom, mm-hmm. which is why I was going to therapy and still do once a week. Right. So, you know, we were doing all the things. My therapist signed off on me doing another round. Mm-hmm. She said I was doing the work and I was doing a great job. Right. And um, that she was okay with me moving forward with another round of IVF. So in September, we added some acupuncture and a few other supplements for our October retrieval. Mm -hmm. So we did all the shots again and we had, I went under for another egg retrieval and we were able to retrieve 27 eggs. Mm -hmm. Um, Great number. Great number. Out of our 27 eggs, 19 
fertilized Mm -hmm. and we had, um, 10 make it to day five. So we had 10 embryos that were able to move forward in the next process. Mm -hmm. Um, IVF offers chromosomal testing on top of hemophilia. You know, we, we did extensive genetic testing, right? Of course. So the first round of testing is chromosomal abnormal, abnormalities. Yep. Got it. Um, so, um, embryos that are chromosomally abnormal result mm-hmm. in miscarriages. Okay. They just, the embryo doesn't have all the cells that it needs to produce a healthy baby. Okay. <clears throat> and they say that you lose 50% each round, which okay. statistically was moving in the right direction. We had 19 fertilized. Mm-hmm. We had 10 make it. So we lost 50% okay. roughly there. So out of our 10, we were expected to lose 50% to just non-viable embryos mm-hmm. at that point. So um, that just that first round of testing makes sure the embryos have their normal 42 chromosomes. Okay. So out of the 10, we only lost three. So we had seven embryos that were chromosomally normal that could produce a, a healthy pregnancy okay. potentially. And then after that, we ran our hemophilia testing. Mm-hmm. So with hemophilia testing, you know, it's a 50-50 chance. Right. So um, let me backtrack. Out of our seven embryos, you know, we had to know what the gender was because we needed to know if our males were affected Mm -hmm. and if our women were carriers. So out of our seven, we had five boy embryos Mm -hmm. and two girls. Right. So that was a huge... um, I guess win for us. Right. Especially I thought that I would never get the opportunity to be a boy mom again. Right. And here the Lord gave me five potential chances. Right. So, um, after that we did our hemophilia testing. Okay. And it came back after out of our five embryos, we were told to expect one healthy boy, maybe two. Because 50% chance mm-hmm. we would lose half. So he, he told us to expect one, two at the most. Mm-hmm. So when we got our results back, only one male was affected, which statistically is insane. Right. We beat the odds there. We have four non-affected males frozen. Mm-hmm. That's so weird to say. Embryos frozen. Right. Um, we do have our number five boy that is affected with hemophilia frozen as well. And out of our girls, we had two. One is a carrier, just like me, mm-hmm. and another one is healthy. Okay. So we have um, six, seven embryos frozen. Uh-huh. So just because you have all those embryos frozen doesn't mean that they'll take. Right. You know, when you transfer an embryo, your body has to accept it. So right. there are failed transfers. Like some people go three, five, seven rounds. Right. I met a woman that she was on her seventh transfer because mm-hmm. they didn't work. They It just nature and God. Right. Have to do their thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, then we started this process of when do we want to transfer? Mm-hmm. When do we want to be pregnant? Um, how do I feel about gender picking? Right. How do I feel about having these embryos frozen? It mm-hmm. opens a whole new layer of life right. being hard. Right. Our life was so easy. And then in a year... It became the most complicated situation. Right. Nothing is really truly the same as it was before. Nothing is as simple as it once um, seemed in y'all's situation. You know, I struggled with embryo picking or gender picking. Right. You know, because there was a certain part of me that was like, 
am I playing God? Right. What is this? Yeah. And after, I mean, I could, I could understand how you would, that would be a it way that you would me feel a little bit, right. you know, um, my therapist highly recommended, um, picking a male, a boy, mm-hmm. cause I have an entire boy nursery right. ready to go. Like we had everything we thought we were bringing her at home and she felt like it could potentially, um, cause more mental hurt, bringing it, take, packing it all away for a girl. Right. If that's what I picked. Obviously, you know, she was like, whatever you think, but Mm -hmm. you do have a room set up for a little boy. So don't feel bad for picking a boy. And so, you know, after many talks with my pastor and he, you know, it's funny that I said, am I playing God? Mm -hmm. And he was like, I mean, are you giving yourself that much credit that you have the ability (laughs) to match (laughs) what God does? Uh And I was like, you're right. Like here Mm -hmm. I, I mean... Sorry, God, that was offensive that I had the ability (laughs) to play you and, you know, like act as you, but it's just a weird thing to Mm -hmm. overcome. Right. Um, you know, so we talked to our doctor about their standard process of how they move forward with, um, them picking. Mm -hmm. Like if we didn't want to gender select, Mm -hmm. What how is would their, they go how about does, doing How it? does they go about Because there are people that don't want to know the gender. Yeah. We just had to know to know how our embryos were affected. Right. Um, so he let us know to rest assured that if we did not want to gender select, they their standard process is to go in chronological order how the embryos are frozen in um, the level of like most healthy, most viable. Oh, okay. So that's their process. They pick number embryo number one, frozen. If it is the most healthy, they'll transfer that one. Mm-hmm. And, they, and then they kind of just move down they the They go line. down. If they look at embryo number two and it's healthier than number one, because they are graded on levels of, okay. you know, quality-wise. Right. They'd pick number two. Mm-hmm. So all, then we were told all six of our embryos are graded the exact same. Oh, my God. They're all top of the line healthy. Wow. <laughs> Um, and our first four frozen embryos are boys. Yeah. In chronological order. Right. So, God, uh, so don't worry about playing me. I got this. He I said, got it. you think that you're bigger than me or right. you're on the same. Let me show you. Yeah. So Dr. Skrupski let us know that regardless if we gender selected or went with the same standard process of letting the clinic pick, right. we were going to have a boy. Right. You're going to be a double boy mom. Yeah. <laughs> That's just his will. Sorry, sis. So, um, you know, we decided to move forward with a transfer right and and here we are we transferred on december 16th Mm -hmm. um our original transfer date was on the 19th which was one month before red's birthday okay plus this was our first holiday without red right this would have been red's first christmas Mm -hmm. so um you know god being the mighty God that he is, mm-hmm. let us have a little bit of joy mm-hmm. during this very big season of grief. Right. Um, we transferred on December 16th. My first blood test was on the night, um, December 19th. That confirms, you know, like my hormone levels were good. Mm-hmm. They tell you not to at home pregnancy test because you can get false positives and false negatives. So you have a blood work pregnancy test at two weeks okay when you transfer so anything before two weeks is could be a false 
right. a chemical pregnancy, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And then after your two weeks, you go every couple days because they want to make sure that your HCG hormone level level is doubling every 48 hours. Okay. That is what confirms a healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but me being the person that I am, I started at-home pregnancy testing. <laughs> On day four. Yep. Um, I would say this was me and Laurel's journey together. Literally, she would send me a picture and I would like turn the contrast down, the resolution and the brightness up. I'm like, I swear to God, I think I see a line. Do you see a line? Yes. Do you see a line? Um, I tested morning and afternoon every single day. Yes. And watched my progression line grow from a faint. very faint to like... We're Wham, here. bam, there it is. <laughs> yes, very I positive. woke up one day very nauseated, and I told Keen, I said, this worked. Right. I know I'm pregnant, mm-hmm. um, which we're very grateful. There are a lot of people where the transfer doesn't work the first time. Right. Like I said, nature has to run its course. And, um, you know, we've got some negative feedback mm-hmm. from IVF. Um, you know, there are some people that don't believe in IVF. They feel like it's ungodly. Mm-hmm. After much talk with my pastor and our doctors and our family, I feel like God made someone Mm -hmm. so smart that they are able to provide this medical intervention. Right. Some people cannot conceive, Mm -hmm. cannot be mothers without IVF. Right. Those that have endometriosis, those that have PCOS or other genetic, I mean, there are women born without uterus and they have to do IVF and they have to have a surrogate, which consists of doing IVF. Like, right. We are, I am so grateful to live in 2023 yes. to where I was given the opportunity mm-hmm. to grow my family. Right. This kind of science is just literally at your fingertips. All you have you to know, do is reach out and grab it. Um, and a part of, you know, with IVF, even if we chose to do, even if we chose, even if all of our male embryos were affected with hemophilia. Mm-hmm. We were not not going to transfer them. Right. We needed intervention because it is a very high risk pregnancy. Right. And when or if I was to deliver another hemophiliac affected male. Yes. All people have to be on deck. Right. We were uneducated before with Rhett. Do I think different circumstances would have changed his life? I don't. Mm -hmm. Because he had a less than 1% than a 0% clotting factor. There was no medical intervention early enough that would have saved his life. Mm -hmm. But we have this science and we are able to make educated decisions. If I was to be pregnant again with an affected male, right? What can we do? Right. How do we prepare for this labor? I wouldn't have had natural labor. I would have had a C-section. There would have been doctors ready with factor blood testing. You know, Mm -hmm. our, our blood work would have been stat instead of standard. Right. All this stuff. So I'm not, genetically selecting the perfect embryo Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. you know it's preparing so that i can give whatever child is given to me Mm -hmm. affected or non Mm -hmm. the best quality of life we needed to know ahead of time Mm -hmm. so that we could plan our labor and delivery the most efficient and safest way for both me and baby right so um you know just because our transfer works on the first time doesn't mean it ever will again you know, when we decide to have another and grow our family, we mm-hmm. could go through all of our healthy embryos and have our affected male mm-hmm. and have him. Right. We're just educated now. Mm-hmm. My carrier girl, um, I feel emotionally attached to her. Right. I feel like she is a warrior like right. me. She is you. She is me. Yes. You know, um, 
hell, who knows? I may have six children. I may have them all. You <laughs> right. never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, and I would just hope that as she grows, mm-hmm. she would be educated. And right. in 20 years, 25 years, when, you know, she has the opportunity to have a baby, that science is even way more amazing than what it is now. Right. Uh, but at this time, you know, we're just taking it one step at a time and, mm-hmm. This baby embryo was embryo number one, right? And was healthy and was transferred out of love. Um, in our transfer room, you get to pick what music you want playing. Doctor wow. Skorupski has music playing. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a very safe environment, right? And Keen um, held my hand, and we listened to um, Lauren Daigle worship music. Yes, ma'am. For an hour uh-huh. during this procedure and just prayed and prayed that this little miracle would turn into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I don't know many people that have the opportunity to watch their child grow from one cell. Right. One embryo. It's crazy. The little embryo that could. Yes. Into a whole child. Right. And I take that. Um, I hold that very dear to my heart. Right. I'm very grateful and, um, you know, I will love this baby and make sure that he feels loved and he grows up in a safe place right? where he doesn't feel like he has to amount to what his brother would have. Right. He is never less than, Mm -hmm. um, he is never a replacement or never lives up to what Rhett could have been. Right. I am doing the work and going to therapy because- Yes, you are. I want to make sure that I, I parents fuck up. All Let's the time. be real. It's, it's going to happen. Right. You make mistakes mm-hmm. and I'm going to make mistakes with James over and over again. Cause right. I am an imperfect person. Right. But I'm going to make sure that I have all the tools to be a healthy mom and provide a healthy, safe environment for him. Right. I mean, you're off to a great start. <laughs> I'm you, really trying. Right. Um, you know, when Rhett passed, I've always really battled situational depression mm-hmm. and I've battled it on my own, um, mm-hmm. embarrassingly, not wanting to tell anybody, want, not okay. want to tell my mom. I've gone to therapy before Rhett passed away privately, mm-hmm. didn't tell Keen, didn't tell my mom. Um, and so when Rhett passed, I had, I literally verbally made the decision of, okay, I have two options. Mm-hmm. I could physically kill myself mm-hmm. or mentally kill myself, meaning live in a completely mentally unstable and just situation give and give up for the rest right. of my life. Mm-hmm. Or I can lay it all at the Lord's feet mm-hmm. and pray and just give it to him and move forward. Right. And as a mom, what option do you choose? You all, we we had this conversation before we started recording. When you're a mom, you just you do it, you get it done. You you do it. Right. So I pulled up my bootstraps and, and damn she did it. Was broken mm-hmm. and thought, you know, I love my husband. Mm-hmm. I would never hurt him. Mm-hmm. I love my family mm-hmm. and my friends mm-hmm. and I don't want to hurt them. And I believe that there is a purpose right? for me. I feel like I lost my purpose when Rhett passed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to be a mom. My purpose was to be a mom and it was taken away from me. Right. 
And all my friends and family encouraged me. You are a mom. And I am. I, I am. But I didn't get to do motherly things. Right. So the only motherly things that I could do in this past year to have the opportunity to become a mother again mm-hmm. was to just push forward. Right. I mean, I think just to kind of like go off of, you know, you said people have had opinions about uh, you and Keen and the IVF journey and all that stuff. I think that until you're put into a position to not, I mean, play God, whatever, until you are sitting there with your husband or your wife or whatever in a room and making the decisions that you and Keen had to make, I, quite frankly, I don't think anybody gets to sit there and be judge and jury over the decisions that y'all have made to get to where you are now because, I mean, it's a special pair of shoes and only you and Keen have walked in those specific shoes. And until God forbid, I would, I would really hate for anyone to have to lace those shoes up and wear them. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And I have a few, I mean, I am an imperfect Christian, right? Um, you know, I'm a sinner all in the same Mm -hmm. and I have a few and I would never wish that on anybody. Right. Um, I just feel like it's the most painfully unfair thing to go through in the world. Right. But I have changed my ways and put all my faith in the Lord that for some reason he felt like I could handle it. Yeah. Even though I swear he knew I was broken before this. Right. <laughs> I'm like, God, did you like, have you been hearing my <laughs> cries and my pleas even before right. this happened to me? Like, right. I have been through some shit. Right. You're like, I'm not your strongest soldier. Please stop. <laughs> I was not your strongest soldier that you gave this to. <laughs> Enough. I I'm get it. I'm still not. I'm still not. But, right. you know, and I share my journey on Facebook, not for sympathy, not for clout mm-hmm. um, in any form or fashion. There are some people that are cringe when I post. Right. Please they, move along. Right. There's an unfollow button. There's an, an unfollow. There's a delete. You don't have to like it. Mm-hmm. I promise you you won't hurt my feelings if you delete me. Right. Because like you're talking to the person that like respects everybody. Right. Your opinion, like you could sit here and talk to me Mm -hmm. about your opinion. And in my brain, I could be like, this person is so crazy off their rocker. I do not agree with this, whatever, Mm -hmm. but you would never know Mm -hmm. because it's not my life. Right. I support you Mm -hmm. and what you think is best for you and your child. That doesn't mean it's what's best for mine. Right. So it was very hard for me to experience people that like push their opinion on me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, or how they would handle the situation, you right. know, and something that we got a lot, people would be like, why don't you just adopt? Right. And you know, people don't know what they don't know. Right. And so, um, private adoption, mm-hmm. um, cost way more than IVF does. Wow. I, I did not know that. It does. Private adoption is way more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many loopholes and like mountains you have to jump to even find someone to privately adopt. Right. And then there is, you know, adopting through the state through CPS, Mm -hmm. which I think is an amazing thing. Right. There are so many children that deserve to be loved. Mm -hmm. Um, and adoption is not off the table for me and Keen. Right. Like that's, you You never know what it's something we talked about even before we lost Rhett of what that looks like. I know many families that have their own children and then adopt or Mm -hmm. adopt and then have their own children. And it wasn't off the table for us. Right. But, um, recently throughout this experience with Rhett, 
my sister was babysitting for a family that had two biological children of their own and they had completely adopted another child and their fourth one, they were in the process. Okay. They got her when she was born. Mm-hmm. She was taken away from her mother who was like on drugs when she was born. Oh, wow. They adopted her. They wanted to love her. She lived a great life. She had three siblings that loved her so much. Mm-hmm. They had her first birthday. Wow. They went to their final court date to finalize her adoption and the state took her away and returned her back to her mother. Yeah. uh, That's a, that's almost exactly what I went through on a different level. Right. You know, and I cusp of being complete to to raise this person for a year and then taken away, you know, CPS in the state is very pro um, reuniting with the parent. And it's 50, 50 where if that parent has done the work and you know, they are healthy, like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Right. but selfishly, you have to think of it in the Personally, way. Personally, right. I couldn't go through after losing Rhett, going through adoption that way mm-hmm. with and getting attached and potentially losing someone that way. Right. At the time, at this current time in our life, that was not the best route right. for us. It's not off the table, but for right now, it's it just... Was, it just wasn't. Right. You know, we needed some consistency. And so we felt like we listened to everybody. We mm-hmm. took all of our options, private adoption, state adoption, IVF. Like, how do we want to grow our family? Mm-hmm. And at this time, this is how we felt was best for us. So right. I really, um, like I said before, I say this lightly, but I respect your opinion, but don't fucking tell it to me. Right. I don't, I don't, you can tell me, but like, I'm, it's going to go in one year, not the other. And I promise the, I'll be, and, and you can't, and if you tell me, I swear I'll be so nice. Cause at this point in my mm-hmm. life, I'm so passive right? and you'll never know that you hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. I have people that hurt my feelings on the daily and they never, ever know. Right. I just pray <laughs> for the one person when I've had enough mm-hmm. and they pop off to me on the wrong way. Y'all once Alyssa gets hurt, like the full Jesus snapback, take the will, yeah. they will get someone else's fight, mm-hmm. but don't do it. Um, for now I am working on myself. <laughs> <laughs> be glad you're getting this healed version of me because yeah. <laughs> you know, a year ago, two years ago, I'd be in jail. You'd probably be in the hospital. Yeah. So. <laughs> so like I said, you know, there's different ways to grow your family for everyone mm-hmm. and you have to pick what's best. And, I just pray that when people listen to this, they respect our decision and respect how we came to that decision. And if you don't agree or, you know, everyone's journey is different. You know, there's no right and wrong way to grieve. There's no right or wrong way to grow your family. Right. And this is what happened to us. And um, right now, Keen and Alyssa are doing what's right for Keen and Alyssa. Yeah. Not uh, what's right for Keen, Alyssa, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Right. (laughs) Tom, Dick, and Harry can shove it. Yeah. So, um, you know, our grief journey is not over. It's something we have to carry for the rest of our lives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've experienced being pregnant. So all of these pregnancy milestones are not new to me. A Mm -hmm. new layer of grief will open when I bring this baby home. Right. And I um, get to see firsthand Mm -hmm. what I missed out on with Red. Right. And I know that will be hard. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know... I have days where they're good days. I have bad days. But right now I'm holding on to the joy that is this little baby being in my belly. Yes. That I pray keeps growing. Mm-hmm. With um, his long arms and legs. I love him so. Yes. And I love Rhett so. And um, I just hope that Rhett is looking down on his mom and is proud. I have no doubts. Um, You know, I struggle with 
when we decided to transfer, mm-hmm. how does Rhett feel? Like, does he feel replaced, forgotten, less than? Um, does he feel like I don't love him anymore? And so, you know, after talks with our pastor and just therapy, I have to verbally remind myself that if I'm a believer and I believe in heaven, then the only thing Rhett can feel is happiness and love. Right. Because when we all, when I get there, mm-hmm. the sadness goes away and all you feel is happiness and love. So right. I just have to remind myself that he, he knows. I mean, he knows. I mean, I would have given my life for him. Right, I say course. it often. Um, right. I, if I could lay down my life so that my husband, so that Keen could have Rhett, I would have. Right. I, I would do we, it over and over again. Right. No questions asked. Right. When you're a mom, that's just what you do. That's what you do. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but I, unfortunately, I wasn't given that opportunity. So here I am trying to... Doing what you can with the opportunities you have been given. Yeah. You know, and, and grief's never over. I, Dr. Smith has cried with me and grieved with me and supported me. And, you know, grief jumps at you when you least expect it. And I feel inclined at my next appointment to tell Dr. Smith if something goes wrong. Because, mm-hmm. you know, growing a human is the craziest, scariest thing you'll ever do. Truly. Like, I want to verbally tell him, if it's me or James, mm-hmm. please pick James. Mm-hmm. And give him to Keen. Right. And it's just a grief thing. It's little things that trigger me. Right. Little things that, you know, and it's just, it's, it makes me sad that sometimes you, you know, a joyful experience is right. sometimes overtaken by sadness and grief. Right. So we're just trying to navigate what that looks like for us. Right. I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's, Y'all's story is, um, it's certainly not your average. Um, it's not your routine. It's not your this. It's not your that. There is no just A, B, and C. We go A through Z yeah. with the Wilsons. <laughs> Nothing is uh, ever just normal with no. with you guys. And I mean, I think there is a lot to be said about um, the journey that you guys have gone on in the last, I feel, it literally feels like just as an outsider, like, this is probably me being really ignorant by saying this, but it feels like it's been such a long time. I agree. And it really has not been that long of a time at all. Like, you guys have done a lot. A lot has we happened, and you've also done a lot. have done a lot in 365 days. Truly. It feels like a lifetime, and then I, right. I look back, and I forget. You know, I was at therapy, and I was like, you know, Rhett passed, and we did two rounds of IVF, and she's like, let's not forget that you almost died. <laughs> from your gallbladder right. emergency surgery. I was like, oh shit, I forgot that. You're too. like, I actually totally forgot about that. Yeah. Or the time that I was crazy and um, no one believed me that I needed my gallbladder out. So right. there has been, um, there's been a lot of stepping stones to get here and um, it's not over. The grief is not over and the journey's no. not over. But no. like I said, I, I'm very grateful that God has given us the opportunity and he trusts us right. enough um, to let us raise another human. <laughs> yes. So we will do that with pride and right. Um, do the best we can. So what is uh, what is the future? What do you what are you hopeful for in the future? Like what are what are your top? What's your top thing? Gosh, I don't know. It's so hard 
to be to look further ahead right in my grief journey mm-hmm. um i find myself waiting for the ball to drop right and it's like if i don't get too excited or i don't get too attached when it falls apart it won't hurt as bad right so it's, it's kind of your mind's way of protecting you're you're trying to protect yourself from totally right um you know the preg- this pregnancy didn't really feel real for me mm-hmm. for a long time mm-hmm. um you know i'm coming up to start on my 16th week of pregnancy and just watching him grow. Uh-huh. I mean, we've literally seen him grow from an embryo. Right. To like this long-armed, long-legged <laughs> <laughs> yes, boy. And I just look to um, watching my husband mm-hmm. be a dad again. Right. Because I thought I loved him then. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we all have our fair share of problems. Right. No relationship is perfect. Before we got pregnant with Rhett, Keen and I went through, you know, high highs and very low lows and, mm-hmm. you know, had the conversation of what are we doing? Right. Um, we're not getting along. <laughs> right. You hunt too much. I cry too much. <laughs> what are we going to do about that? How are we going to handle this? And, you know, I just, you just never know, um, how much love you have for someone until these life-changing events happen. Right. And when I saw Keen become a dad to Rhett and take over when I couldn't mm-hmm. um, in the hospital, when I just was down for the count from mm-hmm. being awake and on mm-hmm. pain medicine, I didn't change a single one of Rhett's diapers. Mm-hmm. Keen did it all. He mm-hmm. stepped up and um, it made me love him and him being very selfless through our IVF journey mm-hmm. and doing every single shot. I, I did well over 200 shots in a very small amount of time. And mm-hmm. he gave me every single one and loved me and encouraged me when mm-hmm. I was crying because mm-hmm. my butt couldn't handle it. Bless Alyssa's poor ass. <laughs> Truly. It will never return. The, <laughs> the knots in my butt from my progesterone shots. I'll never recover. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) But Keen was so supportive and my family was so supportive, uh, my friends. Mm -hmm. And I just genuinely felt every single prayer that everyone was sending me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'm physically unable to interact with people on Facebook when they comment because Mm -hmm. I get physically ill Mm -hmm. and it overwhelms me. Mm -hmm. But I genuinely read every single one Mm -hmm. and... Every single person that prayed for me, I, f- I felt their prayers. And so, um, gosh, I feel like I went off topic. What I'm looking forward to <laughs> is all the love that this baby will receive. Oh, my God. Just rotten. <laughs> when he gets here. Yes. And the feeling of bringing a baby home. Right. It's sitting on my couch. Yes. Um, not driving away from the hospital. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, this time having a baby in the car seat. Right. And... Uh, just getting to experience motherhood right the way I always wanted to I hold being an angel mom very close to my heart I'm very proud absolutely um I didn't want that badge but right. I carry it as a badge of honor right and I'm just here to if my story could change one person's perspective on the Lord or moving forward it doesn't even have to be someone that's lost a child or you know, maybe that's what my purpose is. I don't really know yet. So I just continue to share and I hope people continue to listen. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm so 
so happy that you agreed to come on here and do this. This is something that Alyssa and I have really talked about back and forth for a long time. And I think it takes a tremendous amount of balls to come on here, quite frankly. I mean, to put it like kind of crass. It's very raw. Yes. But I, I mean, know I'm opening myself for um, some people to come after me. Right. A lot of, I mean, there could be, there's criticism when it comes to everything. I mean, I feel like. I, I've told Alyssa probably a hundred million and one times. I mean, for there's always going to be a hater. There always has to be one. Like someone just can't yeah. be happy for you. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're secure with yourself, you're doing what's right for you and your family. Um, and I think you guys are truly doing what's best for you at this moment. Totally. But. And people that are listening and know the, you know, the nitty gritty of what we've gone through to get to this baby. Um, if you feel like you want to come for me, I just ask you, please don't yeah in the nicest way right so let this be a happy time <laughs> let my friend be happy because jefferson county orange is not in my color wheel uh, and i really don't want to have to go there let me just tell you i'm not against having a baby in a prison okay <laughs> you know what it's been done before not yeah. by us but by no. somebody so well Alyssa, the path has been laid <laughs> yes exactly well Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on um i feel like we could literally do this for probably the next two hours, but both <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. Both of our people would kill us. So, um, <laughs> but I, I definitely don't think that this is going to be the last episode that I'm going to have with just Alyssa. We have so many things to talk about as far as motherhood, pregnancy, mental health. Yes. Like, let's I do mean, it. we've got probably a good two more episodes for yeah. you guys. So Alyssa, thank you for coming on. Thank I really you do so incredibly much for being my best friend. Of course. And supporting me and allowing me to, um, just be me over the past year. I swear one day we will get through something without, <laughs> without crying. crying. <laughs> but um, thank you guys for listening. Um, leave some feedback on this episode. Uh, subscribe and uh, rate the show on Apple Podcasts um, if you're feeling up to it. But that's all we have for you. Thank you again. Yes. Ain't no hood like motherhood. No, ma'am. All right. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye.